0: It's a blessing, and of course, Brother Peter has always been a blessing, and we pray for he and Miss Claudia, and that God would continue to bless them. And uh, if you received a copy of the uh, outline, take that outline with you tonight, and turn with me to Romans chapter number 15, and as we get to the end of this book, and I love the book of Romans, I've enjoyed the study on on the book so far, and we come to these last two chapters tonight... We're going to look at the remainder of where we left off last time we were together with Romans chapter number 15 and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse number 14 and so if you have your Bible read along with me the Bible says and I myself also am persuaded of you my brethren that ye also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyrium that I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, some have I strived to preach the gospel. It says, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now having more, excuse me, no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you for I trust to see you in my journey and to be filled with your company Uh, and, excuse me, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company." But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things." When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed them to this fruit, I will come by you into Spain, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now when you look at this portion of scripture tonight, really the remainder of chapter number 15 This series that we've been in, in these last chapters from 12 to 16, we've been calling it Practical Christianity. Tonight, we look at another practical aspect of the ministry, as we call it often, and the focus tonight, yes, Paul is the one God used to pen these words, but really, it was very personal to Paul, and that's why I've entitled the message tonight, The Loving Concern of a Missionary. Of course, we all understand that Paul uh, was one that took many missionary journeys, had people that journeyed with him, going from place to place, from city to city, and really from person to person. So when you look at the remainder of chapter number 15, and even the last chapter in the book of Romans, both of them are very personal in nature. Uh, Yet, even though they are personal in nature, they are full of instruction for everyone. If you are with me tonight and you are maybe uh, have your Bible open, your pen in hand, maybe something to write on, I really believe God will give you, as He gave me, some instructions that will help you in your life in a practical way. The text tonight contains one of the greatest missionary passages in all of the Bible. Many missionaries will come to this passage to see what Paul did and how he did the things that he did for the Lord. And it really helps them, it encourages them, it gives them focus for their lives as they head to the field or while they are on the field. And so in these verses, Paul shares his basic strategy, that that strategy actually made Paul one of the greatest missionaries that ever walked on this earth. And I want you to see how it all begins in, in the beginning verse, verse number 14, where we see Paul's commendations about his brethren. Paul's commendations. See, as we begin here in verse number 14, Paul says, And I myself am also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So when you see these commendations, what is he doing? He's congratulating his brothers in Christ, those that are at Rome, For their accomplishments. Notice the first thing that he congratulates them about in verse number 14. He says, first of all, that they were full of goodness. Now, I think that when we talk to people a lot of times, especially witnessing to folks, we ask them if uh, if they are, uh, you know, we get into this discussion, and, and a lot of people think that they are a good person. Now, being good takes on a lot of different ideas for many different people. I believe to be a good man or a good woman is to be the very best kind of person that you can be. Uh, The Bible describes back in Romans chapter number five, look at verse number seven. The Bible says, therefore, scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, somewhat even dare to die. Now, we know that the Bible says there is none good, no, not one that Jesus Christ, not only in verse number 7 of Romans 5, but other places, describes the fact that Jesus, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But Paul is talking about his brothers in Christ in Rome, and he talks about how the fact that one of the things he congratulates them is their goodness in life. Uh, What a commendation that he gives to them. And the reason that he was commending them was because in their hearts was really a practical goodness in their lives to want to help other people. Uh, They really had a desire to help others and to bear the burdens of, as the Bible refers to, those that are are weaker brothers or sisters in Christ. And that's why Paul uh, gives this commendation of them. He congratulates them for their goodness of life. But then in verse 14, he also congratulates them for their grasp of the truth. This is something that is important in our lives. Notice again in verse number 14, they were full of goodness, and then he says, filled with all knowledge. Paul here is understanding that these Roman Christians, these brothers of his there in Rome, that they were diligent students of the word of God. Uh, The Bible says here that they that they, they were filled with all knowledge. Their knowledge That they had came by learning by studying the Word of God it came as as they were spending time the effort that they made the experience that they received and listen all of us are still growing and trying to understand more about the Word of God and as you think about these Roman Christians Paul was talking about how they they had learned things from the Word of God I've been saved for 35 years And every time I open up the Bible, I I learn something because the Holy Spirit of God is constantly teaching us. And God puts people in our lives. Like, for instance, in the days of Paul, there was a couple that the Bible mentions by the names of Aquila and Priscilla. And Paul said that maybe some of you here in Rome actually have learned some things about the Word of God, about this matter of having the knowledge of God Maybe, maybe some of that came through Aquila and Priscilla. Look at Acts 18, verse 26, where the Bible says, "'He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, "'whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, "'they took him unto them and expounded unto them "'the way of God more perfectly.'" Hey, this was a couple that God used in the life of the Apostle Paul to help them to understand the truth. And Paul says, look, my brothers in Christ in Rome, he says, I, I congratulate you because of your grasp for the truth. You see, Rome was a city, and of course, the church that was located there was strategically placed. That church was to really be well informed of the apostles' doctrine that had been taught first of all in Jerusalem. And Paul commends them for listen to this for being familiar with the great doctrines of the faith. Folks, it's one thing to have a Bible or carry a Bible or sometimes even read the Bible, but to be familiar with it, to be acquainted to what the Bible teaches. We call that Bible doctrine. I think that every Christian, uh, listen, one day we're gonna stand before the Lord. I wonder if God's gonna be able to commend us for being diligent students of the word of God. That's what Paul was doing. He was commending them for their goodness of life, their grasp of truth. But then notice he also commended them for their gifts of exhortation. Now look at it again. Look how he puts it here in verse number 14. He says, they were also able to admonish one another. There were a lot of people there in the church, saved people in the church at Rome, who were gifted people. They They were highly qualified brothers in Christ that really, think about this, a way that it's worded here in verse number 14 was they were gifted and equipped to to stir up the saints of their responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean stir them up in a bad sense. It means that sometimes in our lives, we need somebody to admonish us, as as the word is used here. Now, the, the word admonish right here means to warn them, it also is an appeal to the mind where opposition is present and we know many times it's the the mind is where the battle is for most people so the this is a person that listen now and and we understand that as we are in Christ but we're living in this world there's a, there's a constant battle that's taking place for the minds we all we all know that this world and the devil is after the minds of our children and we see here that this person that is being admonished, the reason is because the person is, is being led away from, a, uh, from the things of God. And when Paul says, look, he says these are people here in Rome that, as he puts it here, that are able to admonish. In other words, he's saying to lead people away from false uh, false teachings, false doctrines. He says, and the way that they lead them away from that is by warning them, by instructing them, by reminding them, by by teaching them or encouraging them, and and, and really, he he says, to do this, to admonish them, so that whatever it is they're being led away by, that that could be corrected. Now, Paul says, to those brothers of his that were there in Rome, Paul says, I congratulate you for the gifts of exhortation. That when you see your brothers going off in a different direction, you warn them, you teach them, you admonish them, you lead them back to the ways of God. And the reason that that he says this is because in the days there in Rome, just like today, I see it a lot, is the tendency for us many times as Christians after we get saved is to just kind of settle in, just kind of settle down as a Christian. Can I can I just say as your pastor tonight, you need to guard your heart against that kind of attitude about settling in. Make sure that you're always growing, that you're always teachable, that, that when, when you start to head in the wrong direction, that if a brother comes along and admonishes you, they're warning you, they're trying to help you. And Paul says, listen, I, I congratulate you. I'm, I, I give a commendation for you in Rome because you are able also to admonish one another. Listen, let's never get comfortable in our Christian life. As I study the word of God, there's a race to run and there's a battle to fight. And and make sure that you understand that until we meet the Lord, we're gonna be running that race. We're gonna be fighting that battle. Paul said in the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. And, And that is true for all of us. The Christian life, when you look at it as a whole, you know what it calls for? It calls for discipline. The Christian life actually calls for drive, and the Christian life calls for determination. And the reason that that we see this in the Christian life, and Paul's giving the commendation here, the whole purpose of exhortation is because sometimes we settle in and we lose our drive for the Lord. I think over these past couple months and people have been sitting at home and people have just been getting kind of lethargic and listen I'm going to tell you something when when we have the okay to come back together at church listen I'm going to admonish you I'm going to I'm going to instruct you listen get back to the house of God get back to the firing line get back in the race I realize that many of us have feel like we've been sidelined, but this is a great opportunity as Paul's commending them. Listen, I want to be able to say to you as our church, hey, listen, I congratulate you for staying in the race and for continuing to fight the good fight. And look, as we look at chapter 15 here, we see Paul's commendations about his brothers. But notice secondly, I see Paul then gives his communications to his brothers. He gives his fellow believers an explanation about his missionary philosophy. Now, we study the Bible today, and people ask sometimes, well, why do, why do we do things the way we do when it comes to missions? And and I realize that uh, there are some things that we might do, and I think that they're good things, and sometimes you look at it, and you, you're you like, you're look, trying to look in the Bible, and I realize that it's a help to our missionaries sometimes that just trying to help them get to the field and so on. But as Paul was, of course, one that had traveled much, Paul, I really believe, was in his day, he was an authority when it comes to world missions. And as Paul begins to communicate to his brothers about what his philosophy was when it comes to missions, notice he gives his underlying viewpoint of missions. This was really something that helped Paul and it, Paul begins this viewpoint of his by explaining his own responsibility to the Lord. Now, again, all of us one day are going to stand before the Lord, but this is something that, that was God's call on Paul's life, but it was also something that Paul realized that he had his own responsibility. Much like I, as the pastor of this church, realized that I have a grave responsibility right here at Bible Baptist Church to do the office of a pastor, and Paul was the same way. He, the The responsibility he was thinking about for what he had been accorded to him, Paul thought about how that he was personally responsible and accountable for his own gifts, for the influence that God had given to Paul, and then for all the many opportunities that God had afforded to him. And, and listen, every day God gives all of us opportunities, but look back and in chapter 15, beginning in verse number 15, as Paul shares his responsibility of what had been accorded to him. Look at verse 15. He says, nevertheless, brethren, in other words, I've I've given my commendation about you, but then he moves personal. Notice he says, nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So Paul says here in these verses that he was called by God to be a minister unto the Gentiles. And Paul, listen, he he was very serious about the call of God on his life, the responsibility that God had given to him, the influence that he would have in the lives of the Gentiles. He held it in a very high regard, and he viewed himself really, in a sense, as a spiritual priest to the Gentiles. Now, not like the Old Testament, because he wouldn't offer up uh, animal sacrifices and spill the blood and, and make the atonement for their sins, but but as you read these verses here, Paul viewed himself in such a way that when it came to sacrifices, the Bible talks about how that we ought to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Paul, as their spiritual priest to the Gentiles, he was offering up as their priest the Gentiles themselves. Look at it again. He says, he says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. See, that, sa- that sacrifice of the Gentiles themselves, the offering up of them, it wasn't some animal, it was themselves. Where do we get that concept? Well, in, back in chapter number 12, Paul wrote these words in chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your Bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So when you think, look, our lives are the same way, that we, we ought to offer up ourselves to God as a, a living sacrifice. God, here's my life. And that's what Paul was saying, is Paul saying, look, God put this in my life. God called me to the Gentiles, and Paul's greatest joy was to see the Gentiles who had been a people afar off, that now by the blood of Jesus Christ, they have been brought nigh unto, unto God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul's greatest joy was to see them saved and to see them offered up as sacrifices unto God. In other words, that their lives, now that they are in Christ, that they're acceptable to God. And so Paul here, as he begins to give his his missionary philosophy and the authority that God had given to him, Paul shares the responsibility of what had been accorded to him. But then also notice he shares the reality of what had been accomplished through him. Now I know sometimes when you read the Bible, especially Paul, and there are other individuals, many times you look at it, you listen to maybe things that that Paul wrote in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And you think to yourselves, wow, Paul, I mean, this guy was just an outspoken individual. And I would agree with that to some some degree. I believe that when it came to the things of God, he was a very outspoken advocate. He was like John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness. But I'm going to tell you when you study the Bible, I don't believe for any moment that Paul was any sort of a boastful man. matter of fact, you see as he wrote in Galatians 6.14, look at the words, God forbid that I should glory. He says, save or accept in the cross of Jesus, Christ, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul, Paul did not speak uh, about himself. What, listen, what Paul did speak freely and frankly about was about what God had done through his missionary journeys. And Paul realized that as he looked at the ministry that God had given and the things that had been accomplished through him, he realized that there were undeniable limits to his ministry. And look what it says in verse 17 in our passage. Listen to what he says. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word or by deed. So as he writes here, Paul, listen, his glory was not in himself. Paul's glory was in his God. It was all about what God had accomplished, and that's why he realized there were undeniable limits to his ministry. Paul could recount, instead of talking about himself, look, he could go back and say, Listen, let me tell you about all the people that, that, that God used me, me to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but what Paul would recount is what God had been pleased to do through him, and Paul knew that he had only been a part of worldwide evangelization. The world was a much smaller place whenever Paul was on this earth. The population of the world had not yet spread around the world like it is today, But Paul thought to himself, listen, I'm just, I'm happy to be a part of the work of God. Can I say the same thing tonight? And I hope you can too. Aren't you glad that God's given you and me an opportunity in our day to do the work of the ministry the way Paul was? And I hope that you and I too realize that God wants to use us, God wants to accomplish his will in people's lives through us. That's why I said this is one of the great missionary passages in all of the Bible. Paul explained here that there was undeniable limits to his ministry, and then he explained the underlying logic to his ministry, and here it is. The whole logic to Paul's ministry was this, that he was a man that was fully dependent on God. Look what it says in verse number 19. He says, "...through, many, uh, through mighty signs and wonders," And by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem roundabout unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul had a clear definition of what his goals were and his complete dependence on God, how he was fully dependent on God. It looks as a result of that, he saw spiritual power that everywhere Paul went, the cities that he went into, the people that he talked to. Even the opposition, Paul saw the power of God in his life everywhere that he went. He saw results. Yes, there were hindrances, there were obstacles everywhere Paul went. There were also, as Paul went various places, he he found enemies, he found opposition. Paul even, and I know that many people don't realize this, but Paul realized that and had times in his life when he went through depression, when he had moments of doubt. But through all of that, through the hindrances and the obstacles and the depression and the doubt, there was still victory and there was still revival taking place in, in the, the Apostle Paul's ministry. And that's why he shares with them his viewpoint of missions. Notice also, the Bible tells us here in verse number 20, look at it. He says, yea, so, he says, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest i should build upon another man's foundation in other words uh, just like nowadays there are there are so many areas even here in south florida that do not have a true bible believing church where the gospel is going forth paul says look i don't want to go where somebody else has been he says i want to go where nobody has been with the truth with the gospel and in verse number 21 He says, but as it is written to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Now, as Paul shares this here, he he gives a clear understanding of what his objectives should be as a missionary. He was clearly defining the goals that he had, and those goals as he clearly defined them. And listen, in your life as a Christian, We all need to have clearly defined goals, and as we have those goals, the result of those goals is that we are going to see uh, our objectives that that will be met in our lives, because as Paul was out doing ministry, he had specific plans, and the plan that he had was God's plan, and that was to reach the unreached people of his day. The Bible says that as he thought about the unreached, that Matthew 13, 38, here's what You say, Pastor, who do we need to go to with the gospel? The Bible says, the field is the world. It says, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. So when I look at this verse, even in the days of Christ, we see that Paul's goal was the same, that his goal was to the regions beyond. And again, we're talking tonight from Romans 15 about missions. Paul says, look, I've got to get the truth to people that have never heard it before. He was obsessed to get the truth to them, to the untold millions that were still untold the truth. Look, there are people today, whether we think about it or not, that are without Christ. If you could think back to before you got saved, aren't you glad that somebody came to you with the gospel, told you how you could know Christ as your savior and that heaven could be your home someday? Paul says, listen, I know there are untold millions still, that do not know for sure that heaven would be their home. And so from the word of God, Paul, he develops this missionary motto, and he actually received that instruction all the way back from the book of Isaiah, because this verse in Isaiah 52, 15 became Paul's driving force. Look at the verse that he referenced here in in, uh, Romans chapter 15. The Bible says in Isaiah 52, So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. What a great verse. It's talking about people that, that have never heard. I, I, listen, I've grown up in church all my life, and when I was 17 years old, That was really the first time in my life that i heard the gospel the good news that jesus died for my sins and that i could have a home in heaven paul says listen he from the the prophet isaiah this became paul's motto there in verse number 21 look at it again but as it is written notice the the quote the reference there to whom he was not spoken of they shall see and they that have not heard shall understand so paul gives his underlying what was driving him, his viewpoint. He says, listen, this is is my philosophy as a missionary. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. But notice also his undying vision of missions. See, Paul, like missionaries we support, missionaries that will have come through here maybe in the next couple months or for our missions conference. Listen, they have a vision of missions. God gives me every year, he gives me a vision of, for our church, a direction for our church, and Paul had a, an undying vision for missions. He never rested, and the reason he didn't was because the work was too great, the task was too great, time was too short. The Bible says in Luke ten two. therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. The prayer of the Lord was to send forth, look at it there, the Lord of the harvest said he would send forth laborers. Listen, you think about all the countries in the world today, all the people groups that still do not have a gospel witness. Paul says, listen, I I have a vision for missions. Why? Because Paul saw a lost world. He saw people dying and going into a Christless eternity. And, and, And when Paul was writing these words, you know why he was writing it? because he he knew that the people of his day, that they were focused on Rome. And so as Paul's writing here, he has a desire to see Rome. Look at verse 22. For which cause also, he says, I have been much hindered from coming to you. Paul wasn't able to go there. There had been maybe some times where he had planned to go there. And, of course, travel was different back in that day. But Paul desired to to see Rome, and then notice in verse 23, he says, But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. See, the Holy Spirit had set aside Paul's plans. And by the way, they weren't bad plans, they were good plans to come to them, to to, to encourage them, to share the truth with maybe those that had never heard before, But the Holy Spirit had set aside Paul's plans for better ones. I've had that happen in my life where I was going to do something and then the Holy Spirit redirected me. And that's what Paul's saying here. He says, I have a a desire to see Rome, but notice his determination to see Rome. In verse number 24, the Bible says, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you if first I be somewhat filled with your company. So Paul shares here three things, really questions that he's answering to them, those brethren that are in Rome that he already commended. The first one is he talks about where does visiting Rome actually fit into his plans? He says here, I must see Rome, but before he can see Rome, according to the scriptures, he must see Spain even more. Now, uh, the reason studying it out is, is because many believe that there were more Jews at this particular time that were in Spain, which really was an incentive for Paul to go to his own people there in Spain, and so Paul says here, he says, I, I want you, first of all, to know where does visiting Rome fit into my plans? But then notice in verse 25, he talks about when does visiting Rome actually fit into his plans. Because in verse 25, he says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution. He's talking about an offering that they made out of their poverty, the Bible says. And he says that contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal carnal things. He says, when therefore I have performed this, when I've taken the offering, when I've taken it to the poor saints in Jerusalem, He says, when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, he says, I will come by you into Spain. Now, if you look on a map, you'll see where Jerusalem, where Rome, and where Spain is. And Paul's writing here, and he's telling them when this visit to Rome actually will fit, because Paul mentions here that he was, first of all, going to Jerusalem. Now, the reason he was going there at this particular time, was for the Feast of the Passover. But once he was done there, the Bible says that he would leave Jerusalem, heading to Spain and going through Rome. That was his plan. But then notice in verse 29, he's he's given them the where does visiting Rome fit into his plan, and he's given them when does visiting Rome fit into his plan. But then in verse 29, he talks about why the trip to Rome actually does fit into his plan. And notice what the Bible says. He says, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. He says, look, his great goal, Paul says, the reason I want to come, and he's already alluded to this before this, He says, the whole reason I want to come is because I want to be with you. I want to fellowship with you. In other words, Paul had a desire to pour himself into those that were there in Rome. And and the Bible says that as he is planning this, pouring his life into the life of the testimony of the Roman church, he says that is going to be made possible by the Spirit of God. And so as I look at what Paul is talking here about missions and how, how he is giving his his philosophy, his viewpoint when it comes to missions. And then he he gives really his vision of missions that what really was driving Paul as a minister of the, of the Gentiles to take the gospel to them. It really helps us to understand tonight that when it comes to missions to the Apostle Paul and missions when it, it is to our church and other churches and to missionaries, Paul's view of missions was, First of all, to evangelize the lost. People need the Lord. And not only that, but then to pioneer some new fields, to take the gospel to the regions beyond, to people that have never heard before, not to build on other people's labors, but to go somewhere, scratch off a spot, and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then it was also to know the Holy Spirit's leading, what God would have him to do. We see this pattern in Paul's ministry where Paul would go somewhere, and Paul would begin to preach the gospel, as he said here tonight, and then people would start to hear it and get saved, and then Paul would follow the Spirit's leading, and then we would see that that work, as well as the apostle Paul, would become self-supporting. It was not relying on, on, on other people to support it, and then we see then Paul then taking the time, whether it's for a short period of time or other times we find in the Bible for a year or maybe two years where Paul would stay and he would teach them and he would instruct them in the Word of God and before he would move on and leave that work in the hands of, an, of, of a local pastor, a shepherd that could, that could help them. And so Paul shares his commendations to his brothers here and then he, he gives his, his communications to his brothers. But then notice as we finish chapter 15 tonight, Paul's commitments. To his brethren. Now notice he, as Paul, we look at these last couple verses, Paul wanted to show them how they could partner together with him. And, and I, I love how we, we now have a little over 60 missionaries that our church supports that you have been helping us to support, praying for them, financially supporting them. And that's what happens when missionaries come and they present their work is just like Paul here, uh, they, they will, in a sense, say that we need your help to get to the field, to partner together. And that's what Paul is saying here is he's he's making his commitments to his brethren, and he wanted to show them how they could partner with him. But notice, first of all, that there is they could share in the battle because any believer can be a warrior for God. And here's how you become a warrior for God. Because any you go to the Lord in prayer... You've just entered into a spiritual battle. And that's what Paul is sharing here. Look what the Bible says in verse number 30. It says, now I beseech you, I'm begging you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. See, this wasn't for him. He says, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. What a great passage here, how Paul is talking about missions. And then he says, hey, look, uh, this isn't just me going and doing my thing. He says, I'm following the Lord's leading. The Spirit's been guiding me. People have been getting saved. He says, but I can't do it by myself. God wants you to be a part of this. And it takes us sharing in the battle. And Paul says, look, I, I want to invite you to pray for me. He's asking his friends to pray intentionally for him we have our missionary letters on the hallway and i hope many of you take the time to go down that hallway when we're able to be here at church and not only look at those missionary pictures but maybe take their letters out and read what's going on in their in their missionary endeavors Uh, the opposition that they're facing and some of the things that god is blessing and the souls that are being saved and the work that's being accomplished all because we have a part in that. And Paul says, look, I want you to pray intentionally for me. Paul says this, look at 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Ephesians 6.19, As for me. Paul says, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the the mystery of the gospel paul says listen i need i need the boldness that only god can give to me and i need you to pray intentionally for me that god would give me that holy boldness to to preach the gospel of jesus christ he wanted these people to add his name to their prayer prayer list and when you think about this listen most of us were praying for our missionaries pray for them by name and listen, when you, when you get involved in their lives, and some of you have been emailing and writing some of our missionaries, and I would encourage others of you that, that maybe haven't done that, uh, you get the prayer page on the back of the prayer pages, all of our missionaries that are listed there. Listen, when you f- start to find about specific needs, maybe family needs or the ministry, or maybe they're looking for a new building, maybe, they're, maybe the, there's some spiritual opposition going on, Paul says, look, I want you to pray intentionally for me. Put my name down there. Listen, when we know those things, we can pray for our missionaries intentionally. And Paul knew, listen, as we look at his life, not only here in Romans 15, but as Paul was asking them to pray, listen, we, we we need to understand that our missionaries are depending on us. Yes, it's nice for us to send them a monthly check of support, but even more than that is, that we're praying with God's power on their lives. Look what the Bible goes on to say here as Paul Paul wants us to pray intentionally for him. In verse 31, he says, pray that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may, be with you, may with you be refreshed. So as I look at these verses here, Paul's asking the Romans, those Christians in Rome, not only to pray intentionally for him, but he's asking them to pray intelligently for him. So he actually listed here, as, as he's giving a personal matter when it comes to missions, And notice the three things that Paul mentions that they could pray intelligently for him. These are his three requests that he wanted the Roman Christians to go to the throne of God's grace on behalf of him. Notice, first of all, in all of these that Paul is asking them to pray for him, they all begin with the word that. Let's see if you picked them up there. Notice the first one we see here in verse 31 says, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. So the first prayer request that Paul says, I want you to go to God for me is, notice that Paul's asking them to pray for his safety. That's something that we should pray for all of our missionaries, is that God would keep them safe, that, that, that they would stay out of harm's way. Paul says, I want you to pray for my safety. Now notice the second Request that he makes beginning in verse 31, he says, Not only that I would be delivered from them that do not believe, notice the second word that. He says, That my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. So his first request is for his safety. The second one is for his service. I pray for what he's doing for the Lord, for the gospel's sake. And then notice verse 32. Notice the word that it begins with. He says, here's the third thing I want you to pray to God for me, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may, be with, you, uh, may, be, may with you be refreshed. And so his third one was not only for his safety but, and for his service, but this one was for his steps. He says in verse, verse 32 again, that I may come unto you, that I may be with you. Paul says, pray that God would allow that to happen. And as he shares these requests, he says, I want you to take these requests. Why was Paul asking them to pray intelligently for him? Because as he was getting ready to head to Jerusalem, Paul knew the dangers that awaited him there in Jerusalem. He knew the unbelieving Jews that were thirsting for his blood. Paul didn't want anything that was going to happen in Jerusalem, those dangers to spoil his plans to go to Rome. And, and as we look at the Bible, what we find is, is that, of course, Paul was arrested and that God ultimately stepped in. And, and of course, we understand things didn't exactly happen the way that Paul uh, had planned them. But nonetheless, we see God intervening and that God used Paul's captivity really as a means to eventually bring Paul to Rome. Look at Ephesians 6.20, for I am He says, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So, look, Paul eventually got there. He just didn't get there the way he thought he was going to get there. And God allowed him that when he did get there, that it says here, again, that he was an ambassador in bonds. All those prayer requests that, that the Roman Christians were asked to pray for Paul, all those things he requested of them, they were answered. Uh, they, they weren't exactly, it didn't happen the way that maybe Paul or they thought, but it must have really been a source of, of great satisfaction. Aren't you glad when your prayers are answered? Uh, when you have had something on your prayer page and maybe on your prayer list, you've been praying for this loved one, you've been praying for the salvation of this person, and then, and then God answers your prayer? And the same is true here for those that Paul had been asking in Rome to pray for him It must have been a source of satisfaction for them when they they actually went to meet with Paul. And it's recorded for us in the last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts 28. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, Where we found brethren, and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome, and from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum, and the three taverns whom when they saw, when, when, when Paul saw, in other words, saw them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. You know why? Because he knew those people had been praying for him. He knew that God had answered their, their prayers. Now again, it's not that things happen, God's ways are not our ways, they are higher than our ways. But when Paul saw these, these dear brothers of his that were there in Rome, Paul thanked God, he took courage, and they all knew that, that the their prayers for Paul's safety and the prayers that they had prayed for Paul's service and the prayers that they had prayed for Paul's steps, that all those prayers had been answered by God. And so Paul, he commits to his brothers there in Rome to share in the battle, but then notice also to share in the blessings. And I love this because those that share in the battles are those that will also share in the blessings. Paul here, as we conclude in verse number 33, look what the Bible says. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul really here is is kind of breathing his blessing on the church. He's saying, because you've been a blessing to me, I'm praying that God will bless you. Paul knew that he was facing danger and that there was going to be some battles ahead in his life and that there would be some hate for him and some uh, some arrest and and all these things. Paul knew, and he he could face that, as the Bible mentions here in chapter 15. He could face that journey. Listen, you you and I, we have no idea what tomorrow holds. Uh, The opposition will be there, but as we see Paul here as as he's writing about the missions and and the heart that he had for the lost, Paul says, "Listen, I, even though I know that, that all those things may happen in my life, he says, "I've got a peace, a calm, in my heart." All of that because he knows the God of peace. And you and I, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but I'll tell you this, we know who holds tomorrow. And, and, and may the God of all peace comfort your hearts the way he comforted Paul's heart. The Bible says second Thessalonians 3:16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Psalm 107, I love verse 29 and 30. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. And that's what God was doing in Paul's life. I think one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life is to have a calm in a time of storm. And I know we've been through a lot, all of us have these past many months, but I think this passage tonight in a very practical way helps us to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them where they really belong. Our eyes need to be, first of all, on the Lord, and then our eyes need to go to others. And I can't think of a better verse in the Bible when I think of missions than the Bible says in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the Bible says right there that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, we've been given the same opportunity to influence the world that we live in that Paul had, to reach this world before it's eternally too late. We don't know the day nor the hour, but God's given us this opportunity. And can I commend you tonight, church, for giving to missions, for being a part of supporting missionaries, helping missionaries that are called of God like Paul was to go around the world with the gospel while we're doing it right here in Pembroke Pines. But also I see the communication that we receive from the Word of God through the missionary endeavors of Paul. And I want to invite you on this Sunday evening to understand, as we see here tonight, that God wants us to be committed to missions, to reaching the lost. God, listen, maybe in a greater way, maybe you already support missions, and and I commend you for that. But can I ask you this? Would you pray and ask God, can we do more than we're already doing? And for those of you that may not be a part of giving to missions, then why don't you start now? Say, I want to be a part of that. I want to start, whether it's big or small, so that we can see people reached with the gospel. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. And we need to be a part of reaching people While there's still time, would you bow your heads with me tonight, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and as we think tonight of this passage, the loving concern of a missionary, and truly we can see Paul's heart. He's really wearing it out on his sleeve tonight in Romans 15, and he's he's talking to his his brothers. Can I just talk to you tonight, church, as my brothers and sisters in Christ? I can't think of a greater cause to give to than the cause of missions. To getting the truth, because people don't need, and yes, humanly, physically, they might need a meal. They might need some of the things of life, but those things are not going to sustain them. Those things certainly are not eternal. What people need is they need the Lord. And God wants to use us, you and me, to get the gospel to this world. Are you concerned for the lost? Do you have the love in your heart that God had? God so loved the world. See, before this book, this letter to those in Rome ended, God took the greater portion of chapter 15 and he used the experience of the influence and the testimony of the Apostle Paul to try to help us understand the reality that people are going to spend eternity in either heaven with God or they're going to spend all of eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And all of that depends on our hearts. Let's be concerned for the lost. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, you have given your all. You've given your best, your son Jesus. As we get ready to enter a new week, maybe some to go back to work, eventually be able to come back here and assemble ourselves together as your church. But I wonder, is our heart towards what you love, and that is Jesus came to give his life for the lost? It's wonderful to be saved, but do we care if others are saved or lost? Give us the heart of a missionary. Lord, thank you for speaking tonight, using your word. Help us to take this message with us and to be a part of reaching the world with the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.